Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala Rasulina wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad al-Fatih lima ugliq al-Khatim lima sabaq nasul al-Haqqi bin-Haqqi wal-Hadi ila siratika al-Mustaqim wa ala alihi haqqa al-Qadrihi wa maqadharihi al-Azim. Bismillah. So we left off, mashallah. Uh, we covered a couple people. Covered Al uh, Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr first, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then we covered uh, Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then we covered Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu, his son. So today we're going to Omar ibn Abdul Aziz, radiallahu anhu. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz is called by many the fifth of the righteous caliphs. There's some difference of this obviously between Sunnis and Shia, but for Sunnis, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz is often called the fifth righteous Khalifa. Uh, really, you could say probably more accurately that he's the sixth. And the fifth would be Al Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then when he claimed the Khilafah and uh, Muawiyah claimed the Khilafah, then he stepped down, right? To avoid bloodshed. But uh, Al Hassan really is the fifth, and the sixth is Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz has many beautiful stories actually about him. So we'll, we'll read some of these passages as we've done in previous weeks, and inshallah, I'll take some lessons from them. Is the sound still okay? Sidi Umar. Umar al Thalith, inshallah. Jalan, Rashi, then inshallah. Uh, Maish, and Adi. It's okay. Is the sound okay? Tant? I'm sure. No? Yes. <laughs> We're reading from Sifat al-Safwa, of Imam Ibn al-Jawzi, and Hanbali. Yeah. I know, Sidi. I know. He said, Sufyan al-Thawri, Qala Sufyan al-Thawri and Khulafa Khamsa, Abu Bakr wa Umar wa Uthman, wa Ali, wa Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. He said the Khulafa are five. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, and Umar ibn Abdaziz. Ahmed ibn Hanbal. He said, Yurwa fin hadith anna Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala yaba'atu ala rasi kulli mi'ati amin men yusahihu li hadhi al-umma dinaha. Fanadharna fin mi'at al-ula fa'idha huwa Umar ibn Abdulaziz. Wanadharna fin mi'at al-thaniya fa'idha huwa al-shafi'i. Rahimahullah. So Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he said, the Imam, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, he said it's narrated in the hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send every 100 years someone to rectify for this nation its religion. Okay, so this is a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That every 100 years, Allah will send someone or people who will bring this thing back to life. Who will put things in the right place, who will rectify them, so on. 
So he said after, so he said, Imam Ahmed is saying this, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal is saying, so we looked in the first hundred years and it was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. It's really a tremendous thing he's saying, right? He said, and we looked in the second hundred years and it was a Shafi'i, the Imam al-Shafi'i, who was from the students of Ahmed. It's also narrated, لَمَّا دُفِنَا لَمَّا دَفِنَا عُمْرَ بْنَ عَبْدَ الْعَزِيزِ سُلَيْمَانْ بْنَ عَبْدَ الْمَلِكِ وَخَرَجَ مِنْ قَبْرِهِ سَمِعَ لِلْأَرْضِ هُدَّ أَوْ رُجَّ فَقَالَ مَا هَذِي فَقِيلَ هَذِهِ مَرَاكِبَ انْخِلَافَةِ يَا أَمِنُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ قَرُبَتْ إِلَيْكَ لِتَرْكَبَهَا فَقَالَ مَا لِي وَلَهَا نَحْوَهَا عَنِّي قَرِّبُوا إِلَيَّ بَغْلَتِي فَقُرِّبَتْ إِلَيْهِ بَغْلَتُهُ فَرَكِبَهَا فَجَاءَهُ صَاحِبِ الشُّرْطِ يَسِيرُ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ بِالْحَبَّةِ فَقَالَ تَنَحَ عَنِّي مَا لِي وَلَكِ إِنَّمَا أَنَا رَجْلٌ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ It's beautiful. It's how he started things. So it's good to recognize that how do we say this? The Prophet ﷺ, his way of leading the people is very humble. It's not a whole lot of uh, posturing. It's not a whole lot of like distance between him and the people. He's with the people, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's not excessive formality, as you know, Dr. Omar always says, excessive formality breeds hypocrisy. So the way of the Prophet sallallahu was very easygoing, and the people, of course, are going to have their adab and their character with him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But he's very easygoing. The Khulafa after him, they were the same way. Abu Bakr, Omar, Omar used to sleep in the shade of the tree. He'd sleep. They're conquering lands, they're doing all this stuff. He just sleep. No guard, nothing. You know. And people would come, they would say, Where's the where's the leader of the Muslims? We're like, that's him over there taking the nap under the tree. And they're like, Are you serious? Like that's your that's your like king, that's your ruler, that's your president, he's just taking a nap under the tree? He's like, Yeah, that's him. And they said, Because you were just, you didn't have to worry about it. People love to use a just ruler. People so go sleep under the tree. Uthman is very similar, Sayyidina Ali very similar, Then after them, you start to have kind of like the style of kings becomes more dominant. You know, you have your palace, you have your protection, you have your retinue, you have your advisors, you have all of this thing, right? And so it says that Umar ibn Abd Aziz, when he buried uh, Sulaiman ibn Abdul Malik, who was the Khalifa before him, buried him and they started to leave the grave grave site and he started to hear like a rumbling just to hear a rumbling and he said what's this sound and they said these are basically like the things that the khalifa is carried in you understand so like the the khalifa now they're the ruler you can't just walk the way that everyone else would walk can't ride a mule or a donkey the way that anyone else would ride a donkey. You have to have your 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 carrying thing, you know, your little I don't know what you call it in English, but not the entourage, like the the thing. carriage. The carriage, yeah, like a carriage, you know. They they put it and you sit in it and it's closed. Like in the old movies with the Europeans and stuff, right? You see it. The carriage and they have their carriage like that, right? But and people would carry it. They put it on their shoulders and they carry it, because this is the ruler, right? So he starts to hear this sound. He's like, what is this? They said, this is the things, the carriage of the Khalifa. O Amir al-Mu'mineen. You know, leader of the believers. It's come, they're bringing it close so that you can ride in it. And he says, what do I have anything to do with that? 
I don't have anything to do with that. Get it away from me. And he said, bring me my mule. I bring my mule close. This is, you know, bring me my Honda Civic. You know? Bring me whatever it might be. Bring it close. So they brought it to him, and he, ride, he rode it. And then after that, uh, the head of the police came, and he began to walk in front of him with his spear. Right? And he told me, get out. And he told him, get away from me. I don't have, what, what business do I have with you? Again, same statement, I don't have any business with you. That's a beautiful statement, right? It says, go away, because I don't need you here. I'm just, a, I'm just a man from amongst the Muslims. You don't need all this stuff. I'm just a man from amongst the Muslims. You know, keep it simple. <laughs> go to my parents' house. I'll give you a secret. If you go to my parents' house, you need the internet password. Keep it simple. I think it's keep it simple. Or is it keep it simple stupid? <laughs> I think it might be keep it simple stupid. But anyways, keep it simple. Some of these are really long. So he said another narration, another story. Oh, I'm supposed to read this whole page. Okay. He continues. So, so he went forth, and the people went forth with him, to the point that he entered the masjid, and he climbed the member, climbed the pulpit, and the people gathered. He said, Oh, you people, I have been tried with this affair. And it's not because I wanted it or because I sought it. And, uh, and it's not because all the Muslims were even asked. He says, وَإِنِّي قَدْ خَلَعْتُ مَا فِي عَنَاقِكُمْ مِنْ بَيْعَةٍ فَاخْتَارُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ He says, I've been given this position of leadership. I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it. You weren't given any say in it. So here I am on the pulpit. I remove from your neck the responsibility of the oath of allegiance, the bay'ah, right? The bay'ah that would be given to the khalifa. I remove from your necks this responsibility of the bay'ah. So see what you want. Like basically, I, you don't have to take me as your leader. Right? I give you your choice. You don't have to do that. So the so the people began to scream. They said, "Qad akhtar naka ya amir al-mu'minin, wa radina bik." Fali amrana bin yumni wal baraka. They said, "Oh amir, we we chose you, oh amir al-mu'minin, and we're pleased with you as our leader. So take take charge of our affairs, and may they be blessed and may they be facilitated." فَلَمَّا رَأَى الْأَصْوَاتِ قَدْ هَدَأَتْ وَرَضِيَ بِهِ النَّاسِ جَمِيعًا حَمِلَ اللَّهُ وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ وَصَلَّى عَلَى النَّبِيِّ وَقَالَ So he said, then when the voices started to settle and he saw that people were pleased with him being in charge, then he praised Allah and he glorified him and he sent, praise on, he sent peace on the Prophet and he said the following, I, I, command, or I recommend to you to have taqwa of Allah. <coughs> Because taqwa of Allah is what is behind everything. Meaning, if there's anything that's good, what's behind it is this taqwa. Okay? And there's nothing that is, like in a sense, if you were to think about, put everything in an upside-down pyramid. Right? When you put everything in an upside-down pyramid, there's always something that comes before that thing. 
And there's something that comes before that thing. And there's something that comes before that thing. Right? So they'll say about leadership, for example, that the person should gain knowledge and they should have some understanding before they're in a position of leadership. Because otherwise, when they get in a position of leadership, they won't have time to do that anymore. They're going to have to make decisions. They're going to have to be responsible for things. It's going to be really bad for them and for everyone else. So before you get in the position of leadership, there's things that happen before that. Before you get married, for example, it's good to consider your mental health and your spiritual well-being. doesn't mean that you have to fix everything before you get married, but it's good to consider that. Because it's probably going to have a consequence. If, you know, uh, before you are going to lead someone in prayer, you should probably know how to pray. Before you're going to teach Qur'an, you should know how to read Qur'an, so on and so forth. Something comes before it. So what he's saying is, if you were to look at this pyramid, the bottom of this pyramid is taqwa. And once you hit taqwa, there's nothing below taqwa. That's what he's saying. Okay? Where did it go? Okay? Work for your akhirah. Work for your akhirah. فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ عَمِلَ لِآخِرَتِهِ كَفَ اللَّهُ تَبَارَكُ وَتَعَالَىٰ أَمْرَ دُنْيَا Work for your akhirah because the one who works for their akhirah, Allah will take care of the issues of their dunya. وَأَصْلِحُ سَرَائِرَكُمْ يُسْلِحُ اللَّهُ الْكَرِيمُ عَلَىٰ نِيَتَكُمْ And fix what's inside of you, Allah will take care of what shows from you. Fix what's inside of you, the secrets that are inside of you, Allah will take care of what shows from you. وَأَكْثِرُوا ذِكْرَ الْمَوْتِ وَأَحْسِنُوا الْإِسْتِعْدَادَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَنْزِلَ بِكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ هَادِمُ الْلَذَّاتِ And remember a lot the reality of death and prepare well for it before it descends upon you because it is the destroyer of desires. وَإِنَّ مَنْ لَا يَذْكُرُ مِنْ آبَائِهِ فِيمَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ آدَمْ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامْ أَبَنْ Sorry. I'm not really sure what that says actually, to be honest, how to translate that. Ah, anyone who like can't mention those generations that came before them, then that means they're really close to death. If someone's like now you're getting older to the point where the generations that came before you, you start losing those generations that came before you. So as you start getting to the point where the generations before you start going away, then realize that like that means that your time is starting to come. And you should pay attention to that. Look at this, I mean, I don't know how these people said so much and so little. And how also everyone understood that. It's not just that he said something so little and it was sufficient, but it's that the people heard him and they understood it and it was sufficient. What does he say? He says, know that uh, this, this ummah, this nation of the Prophet wasallam, they didn't have differences on their Lord and they didn't have differences on their Prophet. And they didn't have differences in their book. Their difference is about money. Their difference is about money. They're arguing about money. They're worried about money. They're seeking money from each other. They're getting into all these issues that deal with money. And he says, And I, by Allah, I will not give anyone anything that they do not deserve. And I will not prevent anyone anything from what they deserve. This is opening speech. Right? This is, take it, this is his 
State of the, what do they call it? State of Union or something? Is that the open? Inaugural, inaugural address. This is inaugural address. His inaugural address is, have taqwa, work for your akhirah, fix what's inside of you, know that your differences are because people are worried about money, and know that death is coming to you, and know that anyone who has a right, I'll give them their right, and anyone who doesn't have a right, they're not getting anything from me. Then he raised his voice even further so that people could hear him. Hear him. Ya ayyuhannas, man Allah faqad wajabat ta'atuhum. O you people, whoever has obeyed Allah, then it has become required that you obey them. Wa man asa Allah fala ta'atalah. Ati'uni ma ata'atullah fa ida asaytullah fala ta'atani alaykum. And whoever disobeys Allah, then they have no right of obedience over you. Follow me as long as I follow Allah. And if I disobey Allah, then I have no right over you. So they, then he, he sat down and he started to... Basically like all of the pompous thing, like not the... All of the formalities of the position that he was in, he started to get rid of them. The curtains and the barriers and the clothing and all this stuff, he just got rid of all of them. Gave this to these people, ripped this up, tore that down, so on and so forth. And then he took all of the... Or he, he sold them actually, all of these things. So imagine like... You know, you have the ruler. The ruler has all this stuff around them. They're set up and their things and everything else. As soon as he got down from the pulpit, he sold all of those things. He took that money and put it in Bayt al-Man. Put it in the treasury of the Muslims. Then he went and he started to... Uh, like he took like a very simple position. Uh, and he started then to... He started to... Uh, Remove people from their positions. He started to fire people. Like people who were in positions of authority, he started to get rid of them. You know? <laughs> like you were in this position, you don't deserve it, you're gone. You're in this position, you don't deserve it, you're gone. He started to, and then he had to get into an argument with his son, and there was like a whole thing about it. Okay? But this is the way that he started. One of his servants, he said to him, when they came back from the janazah of Sulaiman that we mentioned before. He said, what's wrong with you that I see you upset? And Omar Abdul Aziz, he said, for someone who's in the situation that I'm in, they should be upset. There's no one in the entire ummah of Muhammad وسلم, in the east or in the west, except that I want to deliver to them their right without them having to write, it, write to me about it and without them having to ask me about it. This is his first. They go to the janazah. He comes back from the janazah. He's just upset. It's like, why are you upset? He's like, because there's nobody in all of this except that I want to give them what they deserve without them even having to ask it from me. This is concern now. I'm in a position of leadership. Now this is my job. That's my responsibility now. I have to give everyone what they deserve without them even asking me about it. عن مسلم قال دخلت على عمر بن عبد العزيز وعنده كاتب يكتب والشمعة تزهر وهو ينظر في أمور المسلمين قال فخرج الرجل فأطفئت الشمعة وجيء بسراج إلى عمر فدنوت منه فرأيت عليه قميص فيه رقعة قد تبقى ما بين كفيه قال فنظر في أمري This is an interesting story He says I came upon I entered upon Umar ibn Abdul Aziz and there was a man with him who was writing. 
like a scribe, you know? A scribe who's writing, and there's a candle, and the candle's burning. And they're dealing with the issues of the Muslims. So it's his job to deal with the issues of the Muslims, right? So there's a candle that's burning, the man's writing, they deal with the issues of the Muslims, and the man leaves, and he puts the candle out, and a different lantern is brought to him. A different lantern is brought to him. So I entered upon him, and I saw that he was wearing a garment that had patches on it. It's patched between his shoulder blades. And then he started to help me with whatever my issue was. One time when I was, uh, you guys know that when we first got married, we live next to ICSD, the Islamic Center of San Diego. And Sheikh Taha, Allah uh, is the Imam of the Masjid, and he lives in the Masjid. Okay, so ICSD was a Masjid that, when they built the Masjid, they built a quarters for the Imam in the Masjid. So there's a two-bedroom apartment, it's in the Masjid, has an entrance into the inside of the building of the Masjid, it also has its own entrance from the outside. Two-bedroom, one-bath. Four daughters. One time we were in the office and one of his daughters came down. And she was working on something for school or something. And she came down and she was like, I think it was a stapler. She says, Go with stapler. She's like, Baba, is there a stapler here in the office? And he just looked at her and he said, Don't you have a stapler upstairs? And she said yes. And he's like, okay, then go use the one that's upstairs. She went upstairs and used the stapler. Is there a stapler in the office? There's a stapler in the office. I mean, think about this. I, I interpret it this way, Allahu A'lam. I never talked to him about it, I never asked him. Allahu A'lam. But what I understood from it is, that's not my stapler for my personal business with my family. That's the masjid stapler for the masjid's business. And it's the community property, essentially, and you can go use the stapler upstairs. You don't use the stapler in the mystery. You can imagine, like, say for example, someone, you know those little, like, camping lanterns that have a battery in them? So imagine if, like, you went in to see the imam, or the sheikha or whoever and they had the lights on in the office and then you talk to them you see that they're dealing like they're responding maybe to some emails they're doing whatever organizing something and then you come in and you're like their friend you know, just have some friend business with them not state business right and they you come in you sit down and you wait and they finish up whatever they're doing and they look at you and they turn off the light and they press the little button on their on their camping lantern and they talk to you like this is what he did if you think about like, l the level of taqwa that's involved in this is really tremendous right he's saying like i'm not the state pays for that candle i don't have a business to do burn that candle when i'm talking to my friend or i'm talking to someone that has my you know it's a personal issue 
It's really something. It's power. One person said, دخلت على عمر بن عبد العزيز أعوجه في مرضه فإذا عليه قميص وسخ فقلت لفاطمة بنت عبد الملك يا فاطمة اغسلي قميص أمير المؤمنين قالت نفعل إن شاء الله ثم عدت فإذا قميص على حاله فقلت يا فاطمة ألم آمرك أمركم أن تغسلوا قميص أمير المؤمنين فإن الناس يعدونه قالت والله ما له قميص غيري غيري so he says what? He says, I entered upon Umar ibn Abdul Aziz and he's in uh, the sickness that would lead to his death. He's in the sickness that would lead to his death. So, you know, he's on his deathbed. He's on his deathbed. So I entered upon him and his shirt was really dirty. So I said to the woman who was there, I'm not sure the relationship, I'm not good on history. I said to her, wash the clothes of Amir al-Mu'mini, you know, like you should wash his shirt. He's like, then I left and I came back a little bit later and the same shirt he's wearing and it's still dirty. So I said to her, didn't I tell you like you should wash the shirt of Amir al-Mu'mini? Like, what's going on here? Uh, the first time she said, inshallah, we'll do it. And he came back and this was the situation. He came back and this is the situation. Then she said, by Allah, he doesn't have another shirt. It's the only one he has. Uh, how can we wash his shirt? There's nothing for him to wear. Like literally ruled the world. Uh, like people, he's one of the, They say in the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz that there was so much justice and the zakat was distributed to everywhere, everywhere that it was supposed to go to the extent that they couldn't find a poor person to give zakat to. That's the way that it's supposed to happen, by the way. If all the millions and millions and millions of dollars that the right of the poor were put in the right of the poor, you wouldn't have, it would be really hard to find people actually that can take it. But how did he, he's on his deathbed, he has one shirt. He said, wash the shirt. They're like, we can't, like it's his only shirt. It's all he has. It's also said about him, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Kana. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, summarize this story. He was organizing the apples that came uh, as a consequence of like the tax, essentially, of lands that were conquered. Okay? So, one of the ways that would, one of the things would happen is maybe the Muslims conquer a land, they leave that land in the hands of the people that were ruling it, like uh, maintaining it, and they take like a tax from it. So the apples came from this particular uh, tax, and he was organizing them. So his young son took a piece of the apple and started to eat it. So he noticed that, and he... <laughs> He basically reached into his mouth and took this apple out of his mouth. This bite of apple that he had taken. To the extent that it kind of hurt him a little bit. So he went to his mother. You know, the boy went to the mother explaining what happened. So she sent to the marketplace and she bought an apple for the, for the child. And then the child, or Omar came back 
and he could smell apple on the child. Okay? So he doesn't know what happened. He could just smell apple on the child now. So he said, uh, Ya Fatima. So this was his wife that was telling me before. Fatima, uh, did you take something from the right of the people? Did you take something from the right of the people? Like, you didn't give him an apple from the apples that we're taking care of, right? Not in like a harsh way, but like, that's not, that's not, is that what, like, what's going on here? Did you take? And she said, no. She told him what happened. So he said, by Allah, when I took this out of the mouth of my son, it was as if I pulled it out of my own heart. So the point of this is understand, like, don't, th- don't think that this is like, these people are heartless. You know, it's not that he's heartless. It's that my son has no right to putting that apple in his mouth. And our family has no right to the wealth of the Muslims. So even though when I pulled it out of his mouth and I did that to him, it hurt me as if like I was pulling something out of my own heart. It hurt me in that way. But I had to do it anyway. But I feared because I feared that I would lose whatever I had with Allah because we took from the right of the Muslims on one of those apples. This is why you're called the Khulafa Rashidun. These are the righteous rulers, right? Now look at our situation. Like the entirety of the wealth of the Muslims is stolen by the leaders of the Muslims in, many, in most of their countries. And you look at all of these countries, like are they poor countries? They're poor people, they're not poor countries. You understand? They're not poor countries, many of them. They're poor people because the rulers of the countries are stealing all of the wealth from their people. And they think that they have some sort of right to take it for themselves. He said, not even like a bite out of an apple. I was afraid if I meet Allah and a bite out of the apple was in my son's stomach, and I have, we had no right to that. We lose whatever we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Last story from him. عن هشام قال لما كانت السرعة التي هلك فيها عمر دخل عليه this person مسلمة ابن عبد الملك فقال يا أمير المؤمنين إنك أفقرت أفواه ولدك من هذا المال وتركتهم عيلة لا شيء لهم فلو وصيت بهم إلي وإلى نظرائي من أهل بيتي So this man entered upon him is a relative of his He said, Amir al-Mu'mineen, you made your children poor and you left them in need of support from other people because of how much you refused to take from this wealth. You refused so much to take from this wealth that you left your family and your children in a state of need. So if you could on your deathbed now, basically allow them to take from people like me and others like me from your family who are well off. Okay? فَقَالَ أَسْنِدُونِي ثُمَّ قَالَ أَمَّا قَوْلُكَ إِنِّي أَفْقَرْتَ أَفْوَاهَ وَلَدِي مِنْ هَذَا الْمَالِ 
فوالله إني ما منعتهم حقا هو لهم ولا أعتهم ما ليس لهم وأما قولك لو أوصيت بهم فإن وصيتي وولي فيهم الله الذي نزل الكتاب هو يتولى الصالحين بني أحد بني أحد رجلين إما 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 أحد رجلين إما رجل يتق الله فسيجعل الله له مخرجا وإما رجل مكب على المعاصي فإني لم أكن أقويه على معاصي الله This is عجيب So this man comes to him he says to him what he says to him He tells them sit me up Sit me up So they sit him up He says, as to your statement that I have left my offspring in a state of poverty because of what I've done with this wealth that I was in charge of, he says, then I swear by Allah that anything that was due to them as their right, I did not prevent it from them, and I did not give them anything that was not their right. So let's, let's set the record straight. It's not that I made them poor or something. It's that they didn't have a right to it, so I didn't give it to them. And if they had a right to it, I would have given it to them. And as for your statement, <clears throat> to like maybe I should put them in your care or in someone else's care, he says, then my wali and their wali is Allah. We read it in the the thing of Imam Al-Nawawi. My wali, the one who takes care of me, is Allah. Who revealed the book and he takes care of the affairs of the righteous people. Is that's what I left them. You can leave them whatever you're gonna leave them. I left them, Allah. Then he says, As for my children, my children are one of two. My children are one of two. Look at the honesty in this too, by the way. My children are one of two. One is they're people who have taqwa of Allah. And if they have taqwa of Allah, then Allah will take care of them because Allah said. That if they have taqwa of Allah, Allah will create a way for them. So I'm not worried about them. The other possibility is, they're a person who's insistent upon disobeying Allah. And if they're insistent upon disobeying Allah, then I'm not going to be the one that aids them in disobeying Allah with my wealth. It's not going to be me. <laughs> I mean, these people, you know. This is what he said. Allah. He died in the year 101. He died in the year 101. It doesn't say how old he was. They made it hard on those who came after. But they also gave us a standard. Next. Next is Jafar ibn Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Hussein. Alayhim salam. It's his title, not mine. Alayhim salam. Jafar ibn Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Hussein. Alayhim salam. So who is this? And we're in the end of Muhammad al Baqir, Muhammad ibn Ali. He said, his, his son said that when in the night he would make this dua. His son said, 
my father gave me five advices. His son said this and this and this and this and this. His son is Jafar. Now we reached his son. His son is Jafar al-Sadiq. Jafar al-Sadiq for uh, our Shia brothers and sisters is the sixth Imam. And uh, for Sunnis he's an Imam also. They said, some people said actually that the Shaykh, uh, the inward Shaykh of Abu Hanifa and the inward Shaykh of Malik was Jafar al-Sadiq. But Jafar al-Sadiq was a great person. Sometimes you find people in the community and you see that their name might be uh, Jafari. Right? So like we read uh, in Isra al-Mi'raj, we read from the small work of Sheikh Saleh al-Jafari. Sheikh Saleh al-Jafari. Sheikh Saleh al-Jafari is Mansubila Jafar al-Sadiq. That's his, that's his lineage that he goes back to, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, in terms of his. He's an ancestor, he's a descendant of Jafar al-Sadiq. You might find other people in the community. Sometimes they might be called Jafari, sometimes they might be called Jeffrey. Sometimes you might see different things, depending on English, how things are changed. And you might think, huh, maybe they're descendants of Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. May Allah have mercy on him. May Allah have mercy on his family and his followers who took the right and correct way until the end of time. May Allah protect him and all of the family of the Prophet As we mentioned before, his mother was Um Farwa bint Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr al-Siddiq. So, his mother was the daughter of Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad. His father was Ali Zain al-Abidin. His father is Ali Zain al-Abidin. The second person we covered, or not, his father is the son of Ali Zain al-Abidin. Second person we covered. His mother is the daughter of the first person we covered. You understand? It's also important because he's he's related to the Prophet from the direction of Sayyidina Ali. He's also related to Sayyidina Abu Bakr. They're married. The families are intermarried. Families are, you know, all this stuff was happening. One person said, "Kuntu ida nadratu ida Jafar ibn Muhammad, alimtu annuhu min sulalati al-Nabiyyin." It's an ajib statement. He says, if I looked at Jafar ibn Muhammad, I knew that he was from the lineage of the prophets. If I looked at Jafar, I knew that he was from the lineage of the prophets. And Malik ibn Anas, Malik ibn Anas, who's Malik ibn Anas? Imam Malik. قال Jafar ibn Muhammad to Sufyan al-Thawri, Ya Sufyan. إذا أنعم الله عليك بنعمة فأحببت بقاءها ودوامها فأكثر من الحمد والشكر عليها فإن الله عز وجل قال في كتابه لئن شكرتم لأزيلنكم وإذا استبطأت الرزق فأكثر من الاستغفار فإن الله تعالى قال في كتابه استغفروا ربكم إنه كان غفارا يرسل السماء عليكم من درار ويمددكم بأموال وبنين يعني في الدنيا ويجعل لكم جنات جنات يا سفيان إذا حزبك أمر أمرا من سلطان أو غيره فأكثر من قولي لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله فإنها مفتاح الفرج وكنز من كنوز الجنة. So he said, رضي الله عنه. Malik says, this is an amazing state. This is an amazing narration. Malik, who's a mujtahid imam, 
is saying the story that happens between Imam Jafar, who's a Mujtahid Imam, and Sufyan Athori, who's a Mujtahid Imam. Okay. Just to be clear, like after about 300, after the death of the Prophet them, you don't have Mujtahid Imams anymore. So like all of the great people that we had in history and all of these amazing people and everything else, they didn't reach the level of this generation of people. So now you have this narration that's happening between all these people. He says, Jafar ibn Muhammad said to Sufyan al-Thawri, Ya Sufyan, if Allah has given you a blessing and you want it to remain and you want it to continue, then make lots of hamd and make lots of shukr. Praise Allah and thank Allah. Because Allah has said in his book, if you show gratitude, I will certainly increase you. And if you find that your sustenance is not coming, then make a lot of asking Allah for forgiveness. Because Allah has said in his book, Ask your Lord for forgiveness, he is forgiving. He will send down upon you rain from the sky, and he will increase you in wealth and in children. And he will give you rivers in the hereafter. And he says, And if you are shook up by something that relates to people in power, some sort of power dynamics, all of these kind of things, then make a lot of saying, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. Say very often, there's no might or power except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it is the key to alleviation and it is a treasure from the treasures of paradise. It is the key to alleviation and it is a treasure from the treasures of paradise. Last night we talked about, at the end, at the end of my session last night at the Qiyam, I spoke about dhikr. And I was mentioning that it's very important that we make ourselves people of dhikr. People who make a lot of dhikr. Look what he's saying here. If, you, if you're making a lot of dhikr, inevitably you're going to say Alhamdulillah a lot. You're going to say Astaghfirullah a lot. You're going to say La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah a lot. All of these things that you need to say, you're going to say. And these things are going to be the, the key then to take care all, taking care of all these other issues uh, that come up later. Jafar al-Sandaq. <coughs> Someone said 634 I'm okay, I just feel bad for you guys I'll give you patience well, We're going to keep going Tell us Maghrib time. We're going to reign in this party with the mention of the righteous people. An ibn Abi Hazim qal kuntu inda Jafar ibn Muhammad idja'ahu adhinuhu faqala Sufyan al-Thawri bin Bab faqala idhan lah fadakhala faqala Jafar ya Sufyan innaka rajulun yatlubuka as-sultan wa ana attaqi as-sultan khum fakhruj ghayr matrud قال سفيان حدثني حتى أسمع وأقوم فقال جعفر حدثني أبي عن جدي أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم قال من أنعم الله عليه نعمة فليحمل الله ومن استبطأ الرزق فليستغفر الله ومن حزبه أمرا uh, I'm not sure I'm saying this right ومن حزب حزبه أمر فليقول لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله فلما قام سفيان قال جعفر خذها يا سفيان ثلاث وأي ثلاث ما شاء الله
this is also a really interesting statement. So it says, this man says, I was with Jafar. And his, basically like, door person came. These people had servants, they had people who helped them, stuff like that. Maybe they're a student, you know. They're sitting, this person comes. And he says, Sufyan Thori is at the door. Sufyan Thori is at the door. So he says, let him in. So Sufyan comes in, and he says to him immediately, he says, Sufyan, you're somebody who's basically entangled with people who are in power. You're entangled with people who are in power. You're too close to the rulers, basically. You're too close to the rulers. And I'm a, I'm a person, I don't like to be close to them. I'm somebody, I don't like to be close to them. There's two things that you can take from this. Number one is, let me finish what he said first. He said, so, get up and leave without being kicked out. Basically. Like, get up and leave. And I'm not really kicking you out, but get up and leave. Like, don't make me force you out, basically. But you should go. And uh, so part of this is to say, like, there are some righteous people. They had, they had relationships with rulers who were questionable. But they were righteous people. And you had other righteous people who didn't want to have anything to do with that. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. So he tells them, he's not blaming him. He's not telling him he's a bad person or anything like that. But he's saying, what you're caught up in, I don't want to be caught up in. So get out. I'm going to say something right now. Remember what I said last night? <laughs> it's overboard time. Might be overboard time. Be careful how I say this, but it should it should be said. And may Allah protect us. May Allah protect us. Never forget, alhamdulillah, we have a blessing that we live in a free country. If you do not live in a free country, you don't understand. Just you have to know this, first of all. Any situation you're trying to understand, if you haven't lived in a country where you're really not free and you can really disappear along with your family members and never come back. You don't actually understand. So alhamdulillah, we're sitting here. We have a great level of freedom. We have a great level of opportunity compared to a lot of people. So this is not to judge people. It is to say, however, that if you're going to take a principle as relates to interacting with governments, then you take that as a principle. And it shouldn't matter if you feel like on this particular moment in time that government happens to be, in your assessment, on the right side. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you're going to take, especially for people of knowledge, person of knowledge is going to say, I'm not going to get caught up with governments. Alhamdulillah, great. But that should apply not only to the government that you're against, but also to the government that you're for. Because there's a compromise in that too. So, you know, you can be all against like the UAE sponsored trip, but 
You should also have a little bit of hesitation with the turkey sponsored trip too then. Like, if you want to like be, I'm gonna be independent from these powers and I'm not gonna subject myself to these things and so on and so forth, then you should consider it. Just consider it, you know. But you'll see sometimes like people, they're totally off the handle on one of them. And then when it comes to the other one, they're like posting about it and happy about it and everything else. The idea here is he's not just about like the particular ruler. He's like, I'm not, there's a principle. If it's going to compromise my ability to be independent, I'm not involved with it. Good or bad. Could be good too. Could be this, they're, they're seemingly good, but they're going to control you now. And if they're going to control you, then you're not an imam anymore in this sense. You're not one of these imams anymore. Once you've been compromised, you're not one of these imams. These are the imams that gave us our religion. So then he said, get up without being kicked out. So Sufyan said, give me a hadith. So that I can at least benefit from the hadith and leave. This is how our religion came to us. Like They heard the hadith. This is tahdith, tahdith. Like, he got the hadith from the shaykh. And he used to go and get the hadith from the shaykh. So he says, give me a hadith so I can get up and go. You know, I'll get up and I'll go, but give me, like I'm here, I might as well, let me try to get something. So he says, it was narrated to me by my father, who narrated from my grandfather, that the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whoever Allah has given them blessing, then let them praise Allah for it. And whoever has their risk is not coming quickly, let them ask Allah's forgiveness for it. And whoever is afflicted by some sort of power, then let them say la hawla wa la illa billah. Same meaning of what just came before it. Then Sufyan got up and Jafar told him, Sufyan, take these three things and they are a great three things. Take these three things I told you and they're a great three things. The three things of, if they're given a blessing, praise Allah. If their sustenance is not coming, seek a lot of repentance, make a lot of repentance. And if they're dealing with problems of power and stuff like that, then say a lot of la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. I could be wrong, by the way, on what I said, and you could differ with me. And it's a matter of difference. Like, this is not like a matter of kufr and nifaq and all that kind of stuff. It's a matter of difference. But, you know. I come from a people who are highly independent. Highly independent. To their detriment, usually. In totally opposite ways. <laughs> Actually, you know, for those of you who know, it's good to know your history and think about it. And it does affect you. And my father is Maimon, my mother is Newfoundlander. Maimons are fiercely independent people in business. They usually do well in business and they're generous and everything else and fine. But they're fiercely independent in a very complicated way. Newfoundlanders are fiercely independent in a very simple way. They have generations and generations of poverty. But I fished myself. You know, 16 hours a day I went out and I caught my own fish. And I fed my own family. And we stored our salt. And we survived the winter. And some of the kids died. But alhamdulillah some of them lived. And that's it. You know. But like, we live our own life. Nobody else lives our life for us. And we're not going to be under someone else's thumb. So, you know, sometimes we have these problems. It causes you problems sometimes. And your nafs gets involved in stuff. Sometimes someone give you advice and it's like, like, you should put the table there. The table there. 
put the table here. Why don't we put the table there? <laughs> like it's too much. Like yeah. we have to fight our ego. Allah protect us. There was a fly, you see why I'm left. There was a fly that landed on Al Mansur, one of the rulers. This, flyer, this fly landed on the ruler. So he brushed it away. Fly came back, he brushed it away. Fly came back. It became like this irritating thing, right? Jafar ibn Muhammad came. So the ruler asked him, Abba Abdullah, why did Allah create these flies? Why did Allah create these flies? He said, <laughs> He said, in order to humiliate the arrogant people. In order to humiliate the arrogant people. Sufyan Athori, he said, I heard Jafar ibn Muhammad say, عزت السلامة حتى لقد خفي مطلبها فإن تكن في شيء فيوشك أن تكون في الخمول فإن طلبت في الخمول ولم توجد فيوشك أن تكون في التخلي وليس كالخمول فإن طلبت في التخلي ولم توجد فيوشك أن تكون في الصمت وليس كالتخلي فإن طلبت في الصمت فلم توجد فيوشك أن تكون في كلام السلف الصالح والسعيد من وجد في نفسه خلوة يشتغل بها He said I heard Jafar ibn Muhammad say Salama As-Salama what does he mean by salama? Most likely, like the biggest salama that we need in the end is the salama to fiddin. Meaning that someone lives their life and they seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they try to follow the way of the Prophet and in doing so, they do it in a way where they are Not afflicted or subjected to anything that would corrupt that. Their religion stays pure. Their religion stays pure. So he said, this issue of a salama, it has become so rare that it's almost impossible to find where to get it. It's come to the point where it's like, people can't really figure out even how to get it. It's that hard to find now. So he said then after that, and if it was to be in anything, then it's as if you would find it in Al-Khumul. Al-Khumul. Obscurity. Obscurity. And again, you know, last night I made some comments around social media. Afallahu anna, afallahu anna, afallahu anna. You know, 
It's completely contradictory. Uh, if I can make a request, I'm going to close my eyes, not because I'm doing some sort of weirdo spiritual stuff, just because the sun is in my eyes. And at the same time, please don't go and get something and block the sun. Shireen. Okay, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Please don't go get something and block the sun. Just let me close my eyes and inshallah everyone will be okay. And maybe you'll close your eyes, you go to sleep, or wake up and have a thought. So he said this, this salama, it's very difficult to find, as if it's impossible to find. And if it were to be found, it's as if you would find it in al-khumul, obscurity. Obscurity means you hide all the good that you do. You're not putting it in front of people, you're not doing it in front of people, you're not trying to get any recognition, you're not trying to become the next popular thing, you're just doing it for the sake of Allah. And as few people can know about it, the better. Imam al-Shafi'i, he said, I wish I could teach this knowledge and people would take it from me and they would learn it and they would pass it on to generations after me and they would forget where they got it from. And nobody would ever know that it came from him. Of course, because of his sincerity, we have the Shafi'i method. Right? <laughs> Allah didn't want it to be that way, but he wanted it to be that way. Zayn al-Abidin, when we read about Zayn al-Abidin, they would find the charity on their doorstep in the morning, right? Nobody knew where it was coming from. Then he died, the charity stopped coming, they knew it was from him. He kept it completely between him and Allah, nobody knew. After he died, Allah allowed the secret to be known. So he says this salama in their religion, it's almost impossible to find. If there was anywhere for it to be found, it would be found in obscurity. SubhanAllah, one of the brothers that studied, uh, maybe I shouldn't, now I don't know if I can give these details. Someone that I met while I was studying, and you know, like a lot of us when we went to study, we were fed lies. So we were fed lies of like, whatever, maybe people are ignorant, but they were lies. Lies like, we need American Muslim scholars, we don't have American Muslim scholars, this and this and this. The implication of which is, number one, there aren't people before you who have done this, which in reality, when you go and study, you realize that there were. There are people who are older, so they studied, maybe they didn't come back, maybe they went and served obscure positions in their communities, whatever else it might be. The other thing is that, they, that it's feeding you a lie that you're going to go and study for five or six years, you're going to become a scholar, which you're not. But many of us were fed these lies, so we would, we would like want to serve the community in really like, you know, grand ways and whatever. I'm going to come back and I'm going to go to this masjid and that masjid, I'm going to do this and that and whatever. All this arrogance and stupidity. And one of the brothers that had good, good teachers. I remember having this conversation with him, asking him like, what do you intend to do when you go back? He's like, I'm just going to go back to my, student, my community and teach kids. And I was like, really? I would say more about this person, but it would give it away who this person is. But he's someone who spent a significant amount of time studying. A person of great character and so on. So I'm just going to go back and I'm going to teach kids. I was like, subhanAllah. Now, since that time, a solid 10 years have passed. And just now, the seeds of the work that he's doing are starting to show. For 10 years, it's been completely obscure. Nobody really knew about it. Most people didn't understand what was going on. He was just there day in and day out serving the community in a very impoverished neighborhood. Uh, you know? But the obscurity is important. Ibn Atala, secondary, rahimahullah, he said, Idfin nafsaka fi abdin humud. Bury yourself in the earth of obscurity. 
Because that which sprouts without being buried does not bear fruit. That which sprouts without being buried does not bear fruit. It has to be buried. This is why one of the concerns I have now is like this whole thing of whatever people study or whatever they do. It's not just in Islamic studies, it's in other fields too. And then because of the way the markets are, because of economics, because of all these other problems we have, then what they do is as soon as they finish whatever they're doing, they start their own thing. Well, you have to bury yourself. If you don't bury yourself and just do the work on the ground, eventually there's going to be a problem. So he says, if it was to be found somewhere, it would be found in obscurity. He said after that, but if it's searched for in obscurity and it's not found, then perhaps it can be sought after in a tahalli. And that's not at the level of khumu. It can be sought after in khalwa. Probably what he means here, Allahu alam, interpreting a little bit. Probably what he means here is that like, and maybe if Shaykh Fuad is listening and he disagrees, he can share with us. Um, probably what he means is like, you didn't, we weren't able to have obscurity. You had to be in public. So at least this kind of person should have opportunities and times where they have some seclusion. They have some khanwa. They have some seclusion. They take a break. They go on sabbatical. They do whatever. They take a week, they disappear. Nobody knows what's going on with them. They take a month, whatever else it might be. And sometimes these things, like, they should be built. Just because something's not done for everyone else doesn't mean we shouldn't want that in our institutions. Because if it's right, it's right. You know? Like, some of these things should be built into our institutions. If someone is going to serve the community, serve the community, serve the community, they should have some time where they just disappear. Doesn't mean, you know, off the grid a little bit. Let them have some time where they can recover. Uh, so they have some khanwa. If they seek, it in, they seek it in the khanwa and they don't find it in the khanwa, then they should seek it in silence. Really controlling their speech. And it's not at the same level as khanwa. So these are like, if you can do it here, that would be the best. If not, then here. If not, then here. And then seek it in really controlling one's speech. If you seek it in really controlling one's speech and it's not found there, then perhaps it could be found in the statements of the early Muslims, the early righteous people, son of Islam. Early righteous people, and you know the right, the, the successful person or the happy person is the one who finds like this little khalwa for themselves, and they can work in it. They find some way to have those moments of seclusion, even if they're short, and they work in those moments. This is part of the secret. The Prophet them had khalwa in the cave of Hira. Did he really have khalwa after that, sallallahu alaihi wasallam? No. In like a really technical sense. But where did he have khalwa? Sran Ma'raj, yes. Where else? Huh? Qiyam. In the Qiyam al In the night prayer. The Qiyam, the night prayer is obligatory on the Prophet wasallam. his whole life, his whole mission. When the Sran Ma'raj happened, the five, the, initially the night prayer was obligatory for everyone. The five daily prayers come, now they become five daily prayers are required and obligate night prayer is not, not required anymore but it's still required for the Prophet <clears throat> that's his khalwa yashtari dubiha 
that's his time of uh, seclusion that he works in. This is the end of Jafar al-Sadiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He died in Medina in the year 148 after Hijra. He died in Medina in the year 148 after Hijra. Next is Imam Malik ibn Anas ibn Malik ibn Abi Amr al Asbahi. Imam Dar al Hijra. Imam Malik, the Imam of the people of Medina, the Imam of the abode of the immigration of the Prophet, the great Imam. If you want to learn more about the four Imams, there's a series that I did on the four Imams very briefly. We recently, I did it at IOK. And it's on YouTube. We recently added it as a playlist in the Majlis's YouTube account so that you can easily access it. It's like one, just one lecture on each of them. Or if you want to learn more, you can go listen to the lectures of Hisham and Awudi. You can probably find them on YouTube. Kana Malik ibn Anas tawilan azim al hama asla' abyad al ras wal nihya shadid al bayad ila shukra. ولباسه الثياب العدنية الجياد ويكره حلق الشارب ويعين ويعيبه ويراه من من المثل maybe مثل anyways Malik ibn Anas he was tall of uh, strong stature um, bald right أصلا is bald 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 and uh, white hair and very light-skinned, leaning towards red. And he used to wear very, very nice clothes and he didn't like when people shave their mustache. Malik said, Rahimahullah, Samaritu, or Abi Mus'ab said, Samaritu Malik ibn Anas yaqul, Ma aftaytu hatta shahira li sab'una anni ahlun li dhalik. This statement makes me want to disappear off the face of the earth. Malik, he said, I didn't give fatwa. I didn't give fatwa until 70 people said that I am qualified to do that. They bore witness that I'm qualified to do that. So obviously he's living in a time of great scholars. He's living in a time of great people of knowledge. He's living in Medina. So he says, I didn't give fatwa until 70 of the people of Medina said, this person's qualified for that. We have a challenge now in uh, kind of like a level of chaos around iftah. The opinions that are given, the things that are said, the people who give them. It's a level of chaos around it. (laughs) 
one of the things to take from this is number one, he didn't do it until he was given permission to do it. And number two, the pure recognition was important. Pure recognition is important. If people are working in the realm of scholarship, they should be dealing with scholars. They should be dealing with people of knowledge. They should be having conversations with them, discussing things with them, debating with them, going back and forth, you know. And then it's known, okay, this is a person of knowledge. وَعَنْهُ قَالْ مَا أَجَبْتُ فِي الْفُتْيَا حَتَّى سَأَلْتُ مَنْ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ مِنِّي هَلْ يُرَانِي مَوْضِعًا لِذَانِكَ سَأَلْتُ رَبِيعَ وَسَأَلْتُ يَحْيَى بِنْ سَعِيدٍ فَأَمَرَانِي بِذَانِكَ فَقُلْتُ يَا أَبَا عَبْدِ اللَّهِ فَلَوْنَا هَوْكَ قَالَ كُنْتُ أَنْتَهِ لَا يَنْبَغِي لِلْرَجُلْ أَنْ يَرَى نَفْسَهُ أَهْلًا لِشَيْءٍ Malik said, I didn't give any answer in fatwa until I asked those who are more knowledgeable than me if they deemed me to be capable of doing so. I asked Rabia and I asked Yahya ibn Sa'id. They were from the great scholars of Medina. And Rabia was from um, his first teachers. Rabia is the one where it's said about Imam Malik always. That Imam Malik, his mother took him when he was a boy and she tied his turban and she made it very, very beautiful and she told him, Go to Rabia and learn from his character before you learn from his knowledge. Learn from his character before you learn from his knowledge. So he went to Rabia. So he's been with him a long time. Right? He asked him. And he went to Yahya bin Sa'id. He asked him, Am I... Am I at a level that I should be doing this? And they said, Oh, Abdullah, someone said, What if they had told you you can't? And he said, Then I would have stopped. It's plain and simple. If they would have told me I'm not capable of doing this, I would have stopped doing it. And he said, It's not appropriate for a man or a woman to deem themselves capable of doing something until they ask those who are more knowledgeable than them about it. A very, he generalized the principle, the very important principle. You think you should be leading prayer? You should be asking people who lead prayer whether or not you should be leading prayer. You think you should be leading communities? You should be asking people who are leading communities whether or not you're in a position to be leading communities. You think you should be answering questions? You think you should be teaching kids? You think you should be uh, helping others? You think you should be building homes? You think you should be repairing cars? You think you should be whatever it is? It's not appropriate for a person to think that they're qualified for something until they ask those who are more qualified, am I qualified? And if they say yes, Bismillah. And if they come to you and they say, you know what, you need to stop. We thought you were qualified, but looking at what you're doing, actually you're not. Then you have to stop. You're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your sustenance, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Better you lose all those things than you lose your akhirah. May Allah help us and forgive us. And this is one of the reasons why also anyone who works in the realm of religious teachings should always have some people who are senior to them. 
If they're not senior to them in everything, they should be able to find senior people who are senior to them in something. Right? Maybe they're not... Maybe someone's really old and they're like very advanced in fiqh. They should be able to find someone who's senior to them in aqidah. They can submit to them. They can listen to them. Someone who's senior to them in nahu. They can go to them and listen to them. Someone who's senior to them in taqwa. You can go to them and listen to them. So on and so forth. It's very important. It's very important to have that kind of like that tension. Steel start sharpens steel. You know? And Abi Abi Awais قال كان مالك إذا أراد أن يحدث توضأ وجلس على صدر فراشه وسرح وسرح لحياته وتمكن في الجلوس بوقار وهيبة ثم حدث فقيل له في ذلك فقال أحب أن أعظم حديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا أحدث به إلا على طهارة طهارة متمكنا وكان يكره أن يحدث في الطريق وهو قائم أو مستعجل فقال أحب أن يفهم ما أن يفهم ما أحدث به عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم. says that Malik when he wanted to narrate hadith he wanted to narrate hadith wanted to teach the hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. if he wanted to do that he would make wudu and he would sit you know, and he would uh, fix his beard, and he would sit with with honor and with dignity and with awe and tranquility, and he would narrate the hadith of the Prophet And if he was asked about that, he would say, "It is my desire that I honor the hadith of the Prophet and that I don't narrate it except that I'm in a state of purity and that I'm in a state of tranquility and and." and like you know, it's a proper sitting. Otherwise, I don't like to talk about the hadith of the Prophet because this is how I honor it. And he disliked to narrate hadith while he's walking in the street, or even while he's standing up, or while he's in a rush. And he said, "I prefer, or I love, that whatever I'm narrating about the Prophet is understood." I want it to be understood. I want people to take something and misunderstand it. It's just in passing, you do it quickly, and they misunderstand it. So you take time with it, and work through it. كان مالك إذا أراد أن يحدث بحديث الرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اختصر وتبخر وتطير وإذا رفع أحد صوته عنده قال أغضد من صوتك فإن الله عز وجل يقول يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي فمن رفع صوته عند حديث رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فكأنما رفع صوته فوق صوت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم مالك if he wanted to narrate hadith he would make ghusl he would wash up and he would light incense and bukhur and he would put on cologne and if anyone raised their voice in the gathering he would tell them lower your voice because Allah said, O you who believe, do not raise your voice above the voice of the Prophet And whoever raises their voice in the gathering of narrating the hadith of the Prophet, then it is as if they have raised their voice over the voice of the Prophet It's pretty scary. Abdullah ibn Wahb, he said, سَمِعْتُ مَالِكِ بِنْ أَنَسِ يَقُولُ لَيْسَ الْعِلْمُ بِكَثْرَةِ الْرِوَايَةِ وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ نُورٌ يَدَعُوا اللَّهُ فِي الْقَلْبِ 
Beautiful, beautiful statement. He says, I heard Maddox say, knowledge is not narrating many narrations. Knowledge is not talking a lot. Knowledge is not having an opinion on every issue. Knowledge is a light that Allah places in the heart. Knowledge is a light that Allah places in the in the heart. Allahumma nawwil qulubana bi ma'rifatik. Allahumma nawwil qulubana bi ma'rifatik. Hadha al-waqt al-mubarak fi hadha al-shahr al-kareem. Ya Allah, ya Rahman, ya Rahim. عن ابن مهدي قال سأل رجل مالك عن مسألة فقال لا أحسنها فقال الرجل إني ضربت إليك من كذا وكذا لأسألك عنها فقال له مالك فإذا رجعت إلى مكانك وموضعك فأخبرهم أني قلت لك لا أحسنها A man came to Malik and he, said, he asked him a question He said I don't really I'm not good at this or I don't, I don't have a proper answer to this question So the man said I came from such and such distance in order to ask you this question. So Malik said, if you go back to your people, then tell them that I said, I don't have a good answer to this question. Yes. وعن ابن أبي أويس قال اشتكى مالك ابن أنس أيام يسيرة فسألت بعض أهلنا عما قال عند الموت فقال تشهد ثم قال لله الأمر من قبل ومن بعد said, Malik was only sick for a few days at the end of his life before he died. So I asked some of his family, what happened at his moment of death? When his moment of death came, what did he do? They said, he said the shahada, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. Then he said, Lillahi al-amru min qablu wa min ba'd. That to Allah belongs everything from before and from after. Everything that comes before, everything that comes after, all of it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then he died radiallahu ta'ala anhu he died in the year 179 179 at the age of 85 and he's buried in al-baqiyah he's buried in the cemetery next to the masjid of the prophet Yes, him and Imam Jafar were contemporaries. Like I mentioned, some people said the Shaykh of Imam Malik was Jafar. Some people said that. I think Hujwiri, but don't quote me on it. Next biography is... This might take us... This ends Medina. He breaks them down by localities. We'll probably stop on this one. Actually, we're going to stop on this one. Next is Musa, Ibn Jafar, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Ali, Ibn Hussein, Ibn Ali, Ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhum, ajma'in. Now another one. SubhanAllah, look how many of the... By the way, I didn't like choose things for any... I'm not trying to like subliminally message anything. I went to the book and I saw which biographies were the longest and I chose them. Because some of them are really short. So, you know... It so happens that if we look at Medina, the longest biographies that Ibn Jawzi and Hanbali writes are the biographies of these members of the family of the Prophet He's the seventh uh, Imam and for Shia. 
<coughs> he's Musa and Qadim. Musa and Qadim. Can you da'a Al-Abd Al-Salih? One of his nicknames was Al-Abd Al-Salih, the righteous servant. Can a Kareem and Haliman? إِذَا بَلَغَهُ عَنْ رَجُلٍ أَنَّهُ يُؤْذِيهِ بَعَثَ إِلَيْهِ بِمَالٍ So he was known as Al-Abdul Salih, the righteous servant, uh, because of his worship and because of his standing in the night in prayer. And he was generous and he was forgiving. If it reached him that someone was harming him, saying bad things about him, then he would send that person money. Send them money. It's also narrative from al Hassan al-Basri. <coughs> then Hassan al-Basri found out someone was saying bad things about him, so he sent him food, like a tray, a platter of food. And the guy was like, what's going on? And he's like, I heard that you were giving me your deeds, so I wanted to give you some food and stuff, you know? <laughs> like if, if you harm someone else, you take their deeds. They take your deeds, they take your good deeds. When, the bat, when everything goes down. <coughs> so he's like, I wanted to send you something. You took care of me, I want to take care of you. And Fadl ibn Rabi'ah an Abihi annahu lamma habisa al-Mahdi Musa ibn Ja'far ra'a al-Mahdi fi al-Nawm ala Ali ibn Abi Talib wa huwa yaqul, ya Muhammad fahal asaytum in tawallaytum an tufsidu fi al-ardi wa tuqatti'u arhamakum. He said, Rabia is narrating the story. It's different Rabia. He says, Al-Mahdi, who was one of the rulers, he imprisoned Musa ibn Jafar. Okay? He imprisoned Musa ibn Jafar. Al-Mahdi is Abbasid, right? He's from the Abbasid Khulafa. So there's a relationship between him and Musa, right? They're all from the extended family of the Prophet So Al-Mahdi imprisoned him. After he imprisoned him, he saw Ali ibn Abi Talib in a dream. And he said to him, Muhammad. Then he quoted to him the verse from the Quran. He quoted him this verse from the Quran that says, If you are put in a position of power, will it be that you'll spread corruption in the earth and you'll sever the family ties? <laughs> Look at the dream. This is like heavy stuff, you know. He did that to him and he saw in the dream Ali ibn Abi Talib comes to him. He says, Muhammad, is this what you're going to do? So, <clears throat> when he saw that, he sent to him immediately. It's the middle of the night. He sent someone to him immediately. So he woke him up and he brought him. He read to him the verse. It was a beautiful verse. Sorry, Rabia. He called Rabia. Called he called Rabia to him at night time. He says, "I came to him, and he's reciting the verse." So he said, "I need to see Musa ibn Jafar." So I brought him. So he hugged him and he sat him down next to him. And he said, "Abul Hasan, I saw Amirul Mu'minin Ali ibn Abi Talib in my dream, and he read to me this verse." So like, can you just promise me 
that you're not going to rebel against me. That's why he's worried about the rebellions and stuff. So he said, can you promise me that you're not going to rebel against me? You and your children and stuff. So he said, we're not going to do that. And that's not what we would do in the first place. And he said, you're an honest person. So we let you, we let you go. And here's 3,000 dinar. And he sent him back to his family. Took care of it immediately. There's only two stories in this thing. The other, we'll tell the second one. The thing is, the second one is really long. I'm going to try to translate it on the fly. Sometimes when I do that, I make mistakes, but I'm going to try. Shaqiq, the son of Ibrahim al-Balqi. Shaqiq al-Balqi is one of the righteous people. He's known to be one of the most righteous people in the early period. He says, I went on Hajj in the year 249. So I came to Qadisiyah and I saw that there was uh, people that were dressed up, they looked nice, and I saw a young man who was very handsome and kind of like brown and uh, he had nice clothes and people were around him and he was wearing sandals and he was sitting by, he was sitting, you know, and I said to myself, this is a person, هذا الفتى من Sufiya. The reason why I'm not translating this in some other way right now is to recognize that Ibn Jozi is narrating this story with the word Sufi, is Hanbali. And this is a narration from Shaqiq al-Balqi, who was very early, and he was using the word Sufi. So the point to say all this, this is one of the many evidences that the idea of Tasawwuf and the idea of people of Tasawwuf was around in Islam from the very beginning. It's not some weird thing that came later. And they were the most critical of people against themselves. That if you don't follow the Sharia, you don't follow Aqidah, you're not from us. Okay? So, but anyways, he says, I saw this man and I said that this person is someone special, basically. He has to be someone special. So I went to him. So I went to him and I said, basically, I'm going to cause some problems with him. It's interesting. <laughs> I saw him. I thought that he's really righteous. He's a special person. I went to him. I'm going to blame him for some things. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kind of test him a little bit. فَدَنَوْتُ مِنْهُ فَلَمَّا رَأَانِي مُقْبِلًا قَالَ يَا شَقِيقِ اجْتَنِبُ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الظَّنِّ إِنَّ بَعْضَ الظَّنِّ إِثْمِ They hadn't met before. He doesn't know him. Right? He says, when I came near him, he looked at me and he said, Shaqiq, stay away from suspicion because much of suspicion is bad. Quoted the verse from Surah Al-Hujurat. Then he turned around and he left. <laughs> and he turned around and he left. That was the, their conversation. Where did he go? So I said to myself, this is an amazing thing. He spoke to me in this way about what was inside of me and he said my name and we never met before, so this must be a really righteous person. I'm going to catch up to him. And I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to ask him if he can forgive me for what I did. So I caught up to him. But I, I followed his path, but I couldn't catch up to him. And I lost him. Then we got to another place. And I saw him praying. And he's shaking. And he's crying. 
And I said, this is a special, this is the person I was looking for. I'm going to go to him and I'm going to ask him to forgive me. So I had patience until he sat down and I went to approach him. And when he saw me coming, he said, Ya Shaqiq, utlu. وَإِنِّي لَغَفَّارٌ لِمَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِنَ صَالِحًا تُمَهْتَدَ He said, Ya Shaqiq. He saw me coming. He said to me again, Shaqiq, read the verse. Verily, I am forgiving to the one who seeks forgiveness and believes and does righteous deeds and seeks guidance. Then he turned around and he left again. And he said, man, this is really someone. He is really someone. He's from the Abdal. Again, it shows that this idea of the Abdal was very early. We don't need to go into it right now. But the Abdal were like, the high. if you think about, like, um, people who watch Urtugrul would understand. There's a scene in Urtugrul where all of a sudden he finds Ibn Arabi sitting in the circle in the, in the forest with a bunch of other righteous people. And then they disappear. Those are the Abdal. Anyways. <laughs> Opening doors. Oh, man. So he says... Uh, he's, he must be someone really special He spoke about my secret twice This is inside of me, he knew it twice So they came to another place And they saw that someone was at a well And he was trying to get water from the well And the thing fell uh, From his hand into the well And I'm watching the person And then all of a sudden the water raised And they got the drink that they wanted And he said a line of poetry when it happened, You are my Lord if I'm thirsty for water, and my power if I want if I want to, if I want something to eat. Now this person's And he said, Allahumma Sayyidi Maliha Siwaha. Like this is my person. So Shaqiq said, I saw the I saw like the what happened is the guy's trying to get water. He loses his bucket or whatever. And he makes dua to Allah. And Shaqiq says, When I saw that happen, the water raised. And then he used his hand and he took the water and he drank the water. And he made wudu and he prayed for rakah. So I went to him and I said salam to him and he responded to my salam. So I said to him, give me some of the food that Allah has given you. Because after that it says that he took the bucket, he put some dirt in the bucket, it turned into food. He said, give me some of the food that Allah has given you. He said, Shaqiq. The blessing that Allah has given us outward and inward is nothing, it's just a blessing from Allah. So think well of your Lord. Like don't think like I'm special. This is Allah. It's not, I, it's not me that's special. It's Allah that's special. Get it right. You know, you think you're coming to me, get it right. It's not me that's special. It's Allah that's special. So think well of your Lord. Then he gave me some of it and I drank from it and I ate some of the food and it was like very sweet and tasty and beautiful and I had never tasted anything as tasty as it and I never smelt anything as nice as it so I ate it and I was filled and for many days afterwards I didn't experience hunger again then I didn't see him again until we entered Mecca and I saw him one night uh, in the middle of the night and he's praying and he's crying and the night passed and then I saw him at Fajr and he was sitting and he was saying subhanallah subhanallah then I saw him in the morning and he was making tawaf. And I followed him. And people were around him and he had money. And he looked different than how I had seen him before. Now he like, 
he's very powerful and he's very like people know him and they have wealth and they have all of these things and uh, people are saying salam to him and everything else so I said who's this person all of this time he didn't know who he was still up to this time he didn't know who he was right so after he saw all these people around him he said who's this person and they said this is Musa Ibn Ja'far ibn Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib rahimahumullah فَقُلْتُ قَدْ عَجِبْتُ أَنْ تَكُونْ هَذِي الْعَجَابِ إِلَّا لِمِثْلِ هَذِ السَّيِّدِ He said, I would have thought that it was unbelievable for this to happen except from this person. Now I know who he is, I don't think it's so amazing anymore. He is Musa, the son of Ja'far, the son of Muhammad, the son of Ali, the son of Hussein, the son of Ali, the son of Ibn Abi Talib. Now it's not strange anymore. Now I understand why all of this happened. And that's the end of the biography. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. May Allah forgive us. May Allah overlook us. May Allah give us good in this life and the next. We have a few minutes before iftar. It's a good time to make dua. Inshallah, may Allah accept. Alhamdulillah,